Hi guys, welcome to the first edition of the Meg podcast. I'm going to be joined by regulars Nick Gatrogger and Richard Jeffrey Cook, and we're going to tonight take a deep dive into the Macedonian successors. Uh, over the coming months, what we intend to do is look at different armies and following a very similar format, dive into those armies to see um, how the armies can be built, how they can be used, how they have been used in competitions, um, to give you an idea of the thought processes that go into those armies. Um, tonight, uh, in this episode, we're going to be joined by uh, Sid Lawrence Donahue, who is an absolute expert in the Asiatic Successor Army and has used it with great success in both open and themed tournaments. So we are lucky to have a real expert. Um, also, I, I must pay tribute to the expertise of Richard and, and Nick on the history side. You'll be glad to hear that it's not me who will be guiding you through that. Um, before we move on, uh, I will uh, like to give you a, a, a bit of information that Tim Porter uh, has been absolutely uh, fantastic in guiding me on how these podcasts are put together, both by inspiring me with his own fantastic podcasts and then actually being at the end of a direct message to actually help me through the technical journey that I had to go on. Um, before we start, um, I know a lot of you out there are getting frustrated because uh, there's not a lot of face-to-face -face play. That's going to change soon. And obviously, we've had to pause all the tournament scene. That is going to be rebooting with some very exciting tournaments coming up, um, starting uh, certainly no later than July. And I think we have big tournaments planned for July, August, September, October and November. So really back with a bang. And then finally, I know there's a level of frustration um, that the 2021 uh, updates have not been released. And um, just to put uh, everything square on that, um, the author, Simon Hall, our leader, uh, he is, has been very ill and he has not been able to complete that. But the prognosis for his full recovery by April is excellent, and we will see uh, all those changes confirmed in April. So without further ado, let's crack on and start our first edition of the podcast uh, about the Macedonian successors. Evening, chaps. Evening. Evening. So we're going to talk about successor history and kind of I know a bit about Alexander and um, I, he died in 323 BC. People argue about what killed him, what he died of. But what I, what I really don't know much about is, is next. Um, you know, he had a pretty decent army and you know, people must have been very eager to get the service of those troops. So over to you, chaps. Yeah, so Alexander dies in June 323 um, in, uh, in Babylon. So... I'm now worried about that. Oops. Yes, it was uh, Babylon, Richard. Was it? Okay, good. Um, and almost immediately, the army starts to fight amongst itself um, because the cavalry um, wanted to immediately appoint uh, Philip as uh, successor to Alexander, Philip Aridaeus. But uh, the foot... Um, weren't keen on this, um, and as a result, they the generals co cobbled together a solution that involved waiting to see whether 
Alexander's unborn child would be a male um, by uh, Roxanne, the Hesal Persian. Um, and that's what it essentially happened. So the empire was nominally split between the two um, uh, uh, successors, um, uh, Alexander and Philip. The um, problem was that um, Philip was unsuitable as he was sort of men mentally deficient uh, and Alexander was essentially a newborn babe. So the power actually lay with the generals uh, and the situation was that uh, Perdiccas and Craterus, who were the two senior generals, uh, were appointed as regents in Asia uh, and Antipater uh, was the viceroy in Macedon. Um, so even at this stage, you've got troops that are controlled by different generals in different parts of the empire. And this excludes all the uh, forces that were garrisoned in the provinces uh, that extended from India uh, to Greece and uh, most of the territory in between. So you have a very volatile situation uh, almost immediately. Um, and very quickly, the generals start to squabble amongst themselves. Um, Craterus um, and Perdiccas fall out. Uh, and in fact, Craticus is killed by one of the main successor generals in this early period, Eumenes, who was actually appointed uh, by Perdiccas. Um, but Perdiccas doesn't survive long himself. He um, starts marching with the army to take back Egypt, which uh, Ptolemy had grabbed uh, after Alexander's death. Uh, and he actually fails to take Egypt and makes such a botch of it that he is actually assassinated by several of the generals, including uh, Seleucus, who uh, will appear later on in the history and, and establishes the Seleucid Empire. Um, so as early as 320, the, there has to be another conference, which is the meeting at Triparidesus. Um, and at that meeting, um, Antipater is actually appointed as the overall regent. Um, but even um, during these um, discussions, there's still disputes. And in fact, Eumenes uh, is actually doesn't accept the resolution and Antipater appoints uh, Antigonus, who again becomes one of the major generals, um, to uh, fight against Eumenes. So can I ask a quick question? So to give you to give you a bit of a break. So Ptolemy's down there. He's taken obviously the dynasty survived some time. And um, what troops did he have available to himself to defeat one of the? Um, well, he he largely defeats um, Perdiccas by holding the river Nile and making it um, uh, difficult for um, Antipater to, to sorry Perdiccas to cross the Nile. Um, his own troops must have been whatever was garrisoning um, Egypt at the time, which was probably not a particularly large force, no. um, plus any mercenaries or followers he managed to uh, attract in the couple of years um, 
following the death of Alexander. Because um, the one thing he wouldn't have been short of. Um, Egypt was a wealthy project, yeah. province, so he uh, probably grabbed some funds. I, I, I believe the number that's quoted um, is 8,000 talents, which is a, a, a pretty hefty sum. That would be a, quite a large um, block of silver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's probably worth noting one of the reasons Perdiccas probably failed is to get into Egypt, you have to cross a, a significant enough chunk of desert to make your supply lines really vulnerable. And if you can be held up, as Richard said, on the line of the Nile, on the eastern branch of the Nile, you, you eventually run out of supplies for your men, which probably contributed to uh, Perdiccas being murdered. Yeah, there are several generals who failed to take Egypt over the following years. Um, Antigonus himself later on, uh, fails to uh, take Egypt in 306-305 BC. Um, so Ptolemy was quite a sharp cookie in choosing yeah. Egypt um, for <clears throat> his um, and deciding that was going to be his base of operation. Very sure. So we, we, we got in the in the narrative, we got to the point where uh, a regent had been appointed. His name I've already forgotten. Uh, so that was Antipater, who um, he, he had been the viceroy in Macedon. Um, uh, he, however, dies very soon afterwards in 319 BC. That was due to old age. Um, he's quite a rarity. Not many yeah. of the <laughs> To Alexander die of old age. Um, Very uh, and uh, he is succeeded by Polyperchon. Um, and uh, Polyperchon appoints Eumenes um, to uh, basically fight against Antigonus. Um, and in Asia, you get this big conflict between Eumenes and Antigonus. Uh, that culminates in the Battle of Paritacony uh, in 317 BC and Gabine in 316 BC. Those those are in sort of uh, modern Iran, those two battles. Um, and the eventual winner is actually Antigonus, uh, not because he wins the battles, but because in the last battle, um, the baggage of the silver shields, which is the old veterans from Alexander's, um, they, their baggage is taken by Antigonus. And in order to recover their baggage and, and property and wives, they um, basically hand over Eumenes to Antigonus, who, who then decides he's too dangerous to let go and, and has him executed. Um, so... Uh, Antigonus ends up as the main general controlling uh, the sort of bulk of uh, Asia, um, which would be Monday, Turkey, Syria, uh, Iraq, um, and Iran, basically, and moving towards sort of Afghanistan and the Far East. Um, so uh, that was the sort of big battle between sort of 319 and 316 BC um, that, that takes place. And it's probably, those two battles are probably our best source for the armies of the sort of Asiatic successor period. And that, so that ties, just to give you a break, that ties into the Asiatic successor list within the PDF, which we'll yes, be talking the, about more. Yes, the, the Asiatic successor list actually carries on um, 
and covers also uh, the Ptolemaic armies and indeed the uh, very early armies of Seleucus right. uh, as well. Um, uh, so it, it actually covers more than just the armies of Eumenes and Antigonus. The characteristics of all those armies were the shortage of uh, Macedonian phalangites who were rated to be the best troops. Um, so the generals resort to using Greek mercenaries and even recruiting natives to fight in their phalanxes. And they're, they're known as pantatapoi, uh, which basically means trouser wearers, um, because to the Greeks, anybody who was wearing trousers was clearly a inferior barbarian and not, not, not as worthy as the Greeks and Macedonians. Just to chip in on one thing to note, that even despite the, the value of the Macedonians, uh, after beating Eumenes by suborning the Silver Shields, Antigonus decided that the, the Silver Shields were such a, a dodgy bunch, untrustworthy, that despite their effectiveness, he basically got rid of them sent them east and they disappear from history, I believe. Is that right, Richard? Yes, they were. By this time, they were probably in their at least their 60s, um, possibly even older. Um, so he basically um, puts them into uh, sort of garrisons where they can become soft and uh, uh, live out their old age. Um, and as, as you say, they they disappear from history. Uh, much, much to my shame, I think. I, I think the uh, Silver Shields are one of the sort of exciting features of those Asiatic um, armies. They're, they're fairly iconic for the early part, once you, once you read the history and work your way through the interminable number of Greek names. <laughs> I'm one reason I'm glad Richard's taken this section was to not have to do too much Greek pronunciation myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so far, we, we've seen the successors um, basically fighting each other, other so Macedonian type armies on you know pike on pike battle. Is, is that is that fair for this period, or were they fighting other people as well? Um, by and large, they were fighting amongst themselves, uh, or occasionally putting down uh, local revolts. Um, the, these include uh, revolts of Greek mercenaries. Uh, the, one of the first revolts actually was of Greek mercenaries in Bactria. Um, but there's also um, uh, fighting amongst the Greek cities who um, Alexander had this uh, league of Greeks. And uh, basically they decided on Alexander's death that they'd had enough of this and you enter into the Lamian War, which is the first war um, in, that the Macedonian have to fight. Um, and in fact, um, Macedonia um, basically remains fairly calm after, with one exception, when Antipater is succeeded by Polyperchus. Um, Alexander, uh, sorry, Antipater's son, Cassander, he was expecting to get control of Macedonia. And in fact, in 317, he actually seizes the Macedonian um, uh, power from Polyperchon. Uh, and Polyperchon actually flees to Epirus um, and gets the support of Alexander's mother, Olympias, um, 
and she actually invades Macedonia back to Epirote's army. Um, but Cassander uh, besieges her in Pydna, um, the site later of the Roman battle of the Macedonians. And uh, eventually she's, she has to capitulate. Um, Cassander promises not to have her killed, uh, but then basically goes back on his promise and arranges for relatives who of the victims of Olympias to um, take her and I think they stone her to death. Um, and thus she dies and actually Alexander's um, children have fallen into um, the hands of Cassandra by this time. And although they survive for another few years, um, they, he eventually kills them. Um, and so the actual successors to the great um, die. And uh, that uh, ruling dynasty, uh, the Argyad dynasty, uh, dies out with them. So Cassander then takes control of Macedonia. Um, through his victories against Eumenes, we've got Antigonus has taken control of Asia. And we've got Ptolemy in Egypt. And we've got uh, Lysimachus, who is governor of Thrace, who starts to appear in the picture. Um, and basically over the next um, sort of 15 years or so, it, there turns out to be the, this sort of battle between um, the, the various generals, um, which culminates really in 301 BC. Uh, the Battle of Ipsus, where uh, Cassander Lysimachus, with the support of Ptolemy um, in name, but not in actual troops, um, defeat uh, Antigonus, and Antigonus is killed. Um, and Lysimachus is the big victor because he seizes um, a lot of um, Turkey, uh, Asia Minor as was. Um, Seleucus uh, captures Syria and has already captured the east. Um, Ptolemy tries to seize some of southern Syria, Coel Syria, as it's known, uh, from Seleucus, and that ends up uh, starting a chain of wars that carries on for 150 years um, for control of that sort of um, Palestine area. Um, and meanwhile, uh, Macedonia um, ends up because uh, Cassandra dies in 298 and Macedon ends up being fought over between Lysimachus, uh, Demetrius, the son of Antigonus, um, and uh, Pyrrhus, uh, the uh, Epirate king who is a uh, nephew of the half-brother of Alexander the Great. And Pyrrhus, of course, is better known for his uh, Pyrrhic victories in his battles for Rome, but uh, you have this whole chain of conflict that really ends in uh, 281, where Seleucus actually defeats Lysimachus at the Battle of Choripedium, uh, but as Seleucus is then crossing the Dardanelles um, to move into Thrace, uh, he's actually assassinated by a son of Ptolemy called Ptolemy Coronus, uh, the Thunderbolt, um, who actually seizes the throne of Macedon, but is then killed by the Galatians. And um, that, that sort of ends the success of it, the early success of it. And you end up with the stable um, kingdoms of Macedon, of the Seleucid Empire, 
and of Egypt under the Ptolemies. So is the Seleucid Empire the Asiatic of the Macedonian Empire? Yes, it's the Asiatic possessions of the old Empire of Alexander, stretching from uh, Bactria, modern Afghanistan in the uh, uh, east, to uh, Asia Minor, modern Turkey in the west. And then, and then the, the area between that and Palestine uh, and, and Egypt, that was an area of... Yes, uh, so the sort of Palestine and the, the area south of modern Syria was disputed between the Ptolemaic dynasty and the Seleucid dynasty. And they go on to fight uh, various uh, Syrian wars, as they're known. So right. you have the first, second, third, fourth and fifth Syrian. But, but by then you've got this, you, you've got these three power blocks, yeah. nicely defined. You've got Egypt, Asia, and you've got the home country and it's Greek uh, satellite. Yes, um, and that sort of division uh, largely uh, remains in place until the arrival of the Romans. And then, and we all know 146 BC or whatever, I think it is the Romans defeat and Macedonia is a Roman. Uh, yes. Right, well, that was... I must say, that's a, an impressive summary, Richard. It really was. <laughs> I couldn't have done it. I, I, I feel obliged to chip in one small thing. Please. It, it, it just because just it's 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 known to so many that not people don't necessarily know where where it lies within the history that um, the the Demetrius the son of Antigonus um, the the famous besieger uh, Demetrius the besieger is generally he undertook his famous siege of Rhodes during this period the the late so about three hundred five three hundred four I believe which is next which was you know when that failed the the Rhodians allegedly sold off the the scrap from his siege machines and from it they funded the Colossus of Rhodes, one of the seven wonders of the world. So you know that that, that fits in into What's that got the to do with Sorry? What's that got to do with phalangites? Nothing. I just think it's a really interesting bit that fits in into the everybody's heard of the Colossus of Rhodes, <laughs> but it fits into this period of history and actually yeah. comes out of a failed siege. I shouldn't be for right. Well, that kind of ends that that section. Um, so we'll move on. Okay. So what we want to do now is look to list and treat it within Meg the option available. Um, what we're going to do is Nick is going to talk about the Asiatic list, and then Richard is going to talk. And um, we can also point out that there are two other lists which would form part of that you might want to look at, which we're not going to tonight. That the Thraco Macedonia. Um, so Nick, to you, Asiatic. Where's it found? Okay, well, <laughs> it's found in the Syria and Asia Minor set uh, of the classical lists. Um, so, and it's, it covers the period that Richard has just been describing from the death of Alexander the Great through to the end of the um, series of wars between the initial successors of Alexander. So it's, it covers the, those armies that were based in Asia, hence its name. You know, so we're looking at the armies of Antigonus and Demetrius, Ptolemy, Seleucus, when he gets his satrapy, some of the minor people, um, and obviously Perdiccas immediately after the death of Alexander. So th these are really the, the troops that were left by Alexander in Asia, so, and, and then supplemented by the the, the generals who were fighting over his empire by as many troops as they could get hold of really um, as Richard has already said you know Macedonians are the core they're seen as the 
um, the really important troops. They're the ones that will give you victory, but then they're in short supply. So they were su supplemented by Greek mercenaries who were retrained as pikemen and the Pantadapoi, that's my pronunciation anyway, um, the, the local levies also treated it, trained as pikemen, but definitely not seen as good as either Greeks and especially not as good as Macedon. Um, to that, we add lots of local troops around the edges, but the armies, the, for the armies, the important troops were always the Macedonian and the other pike. So the list itself, therefore, as you, as you won't be surprised to hear, it has a good core of companions and Zeistophoroi, the troops that are basically modelled on the companion cavalry. So it's the, the, armoured, the armoured cavalry with the, the long spear charging in the manner of Alexander's companion. Um, they, they're supplemented by um, satrapal cavalry and satrapal horse archers. So think of these as Persians mainly um, from, the, from the Persian Empire. The, the, the locals recruited in the style that they were fighting in before Alexander arrived, that formed part of the armies, the last armies of the Achaemenid king. Uh, the majority of those available um, are with short spear and unskilled javelin with an optional shoot and charge. So they're not as good as the companions who are still charging lances with melee expert, an optional and superior. But, you know, they're, they're useful troops, they're good second line troops. And as we all know, by having unskilled javelin, they can evade right. and run away or always... So they've got a skirmish function. Um, in, almost inevitably, and iconically, I suppose, for uh, many of these armies, you can also have some elephants, because um, obviously Alexander brought elephants back from India, where he campaigned. He was, like everybody is, much taken with them. Um, he was impressed by their, obviously impressed by their um, performance when he fought Porus, so he brought them back, and they almost became um, a, a compulsory part of armies if you were a king. So there are, you know, in list terms, there's naught to six available, which is a pretty good number. Um, so, you know, after that, after that, those cavalry, we're down to, we're down to the, the, the core of the infantry, the heavy infantry. Um, now, as we said, you know, the Macedonian phalangites are seen as the really important bit, so they feature. But uh, this might seem odd to some people. They're not compulsory, because as, as Richard mentioned, not everybody could get hold of them. You know, there's only a limited number of them. But you can have 0 to 24 in the list. Um, the compulsory pikemen are actually Greek mercenaries who are just average pikemen. And they're, they're different from the Macedonians. They don't get shoved. And then you can have a good chunk of the Pantadapoi as well, who are also pikemen like the mercenaries, but they're compulsory combat shy. They're, they weren't seen as good. They didn't perform. So that, that's, that's your core of the heavy infantry, to which you can add a few hoplites and then some loose order troops like Thracians and Asiatic. One really interesting part of this list is that the Macedonian phalangites, the 20, uh, 0 to 24 you can have, can be upgraded to superior, but there's a limitation on how many you can upgrade, and it depends whose army you've got um, to reflect who's got access to them. Now, the minor players of the period can't get any. Uh, people who've got some and have got hold of some of the veterans, like Antigonus, Demetrius, Seleucus and Ptolemy, are allowed to upgrade one tug to elite. So, you know, they, they, although they made a lot of effort getting them, they've only got a limited number. To elite? Sorry? They can upgrade them to elite. So they upgrade them to superior. Sorry, elite, I'm using the word elite in, a, in the general term of, um, of, of the better than average. <laughs> they're, they're, not, they're not exceptional in make terms. Eumenes, however, 
because he had the silver shields, you remember what Richard was saying about them, and the silver shields which it carried all before them, he can upgrade all 24. He can have three tugs of them. But there is a kicker. Like Napoleon's old guard. Yeah. You know, they're, they're great. They, they'll defeat anything in front of them. But as I said, there's a kicker in this. Eumenes wasn't a Macedonian. He was from Caria. And he, he, because of that, it was, I think he was seen as a bit of an upstart. Would that be right, Richard? Yeah. I think he'd been Alexander's secretary, hadn't he? He had indeed, yes. Ooh, I remember some of my history. Um, so you, whilst Eumenes can have these three units of superior phalangites, He's not allowed any sub-generals. He can only have allied generals, which can therefore rather screw up the army in terms of command and control. But I think if you get it right and put those three units in, into something, especially in period against other successor armies, they can do exactly what happened and knock a big hole in the enemy. So anyway, after, after the pikemen and the, the cavalry, the, you can have hordes and hordes and hordes of archers and slingers, all skirmishes. Um, you, you could have... 80 or 90 bases of these guys to represent the hordes of local troops that were sometimes recruited into these armies. You know, even, even I believe um, Antigonus and Eumenes, although they had access to quite a lot of proper troops, if you like, um, also had large amounts of these skirmishes bulking out their armies. So there you are. It's, 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 so it's basically a, a, a development on from the Alexandrian Macedonian, but with some twists in that you have to play around with the with the, the, the good troops to get, to get what you want. There's, there's plenty of options in the army. Some people can have allies. You can have classical Greek allies. You can have hoplite allies. There's a Cappadocian ally allowed. And Ptolemy can have Cypriot allies, which is another Greek ally. So, and you can always have internal allies in the army as well. So uh, plenty to play around with, plenty of options, plenty of ways to build this army. You can have lots and lots of phalangites. Or you could have a fewer but very tough number of phalanges. Okay, I'll leave that there. And the command and control, uh, all professional. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes, I, 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 sorry. Uh, th thank you, Ray, for pulling me up on that because I, I, <laughs> I just blithely assumed that everybody would, would know that. Yeah, the, all the generals are professional, whether they're allied or not, um, other than external allies. So you, you, you always have the option of that professional command and control. You can have your CNC as a floating general if you want it to get extra flesh <clears throat> flexibility and there's no limitation on the quality of the generals you're allowed in that so you're allowed the full gamut or any of the generals army commander sub or internal ally from mediocre through to talented or obviously um, legendary should you wish to for the cnc excellent okay so um we're going to move on to uh, richard who's going to, we're going to move on to Macedonian and where might we find this? Thank you Ray. So the Macedonian successor list is in the Greek and Macedon uh, list set in the classical period. So um, where you would expect it, I hope. Um, the Macedonian successor list is in some ways quite similar to the Asiatic successor but, but in other ways a bit different. So um, First off, you don't get as many elephants as you would with the Asiatic successor. Um, most of the elephants actually um, originated with generals in the east, uh, where they uh, acquired them, uh, either the ones that Alexander had brought back from his campaigns, or uh, Seleucus actually um, makes an arrangement uh, 
uh, Marayan Emperor Chandragupta and brings back 500 supposed elephants, some of which end up in the, uh, first the army of Lysimachus and end up uh, eventually in the hands of Pyrrhus, takes them across to Italy. So those are, those are the elephants that appear in the Sidonian successor. Um, the cavalry is pretty similar. You've got uh, the uh, Zistophori, as they are referred to in the sources, uh, the lance arm cavalry that fought in the Macedonian style, um, using the Ziston is the uh, lance that they used. Um, but you can also have Greek cavalry who um, provide more of a skirmish on the strike of Zistophori. Um, and some sources as well. Um, but the main components of the foot, um, similar in that you can have one tug of the veteran or elite phalangites who are the superior um, protected pike with shove. Um, the, the, the core of the army are the Macedonian phalangites. Um, that's probably an, a broad term that would have covered some Greeks and others that have been trained to fight as phalangites as well, um, but they're, they're categorized, we categorize them just as Macedonian phalangites, um, and they can be supported by Greek mercenaries uh, who are classified as hoplites um, for this army. Uh, along with that, you can have some of the barbarians from the northern Macedonian borders, uh, Thracians or Illyrians. Um, and along with skirmishers, that, that provides the bulk of the army. An interesting option, if you're brave, is to re-equip your phalangites uh, as usenoi. Usenoi was the Greek term for lightly equipped, um, and they can skirmish, um, and they, they're short spear and melee to be, um, and they're great for going up to hills, beating uh, anything else that's to fight the terrain, um, but perhaps not a typical choice for your average tournament army. Um, with the Macedonian successor, you get a range of different ally, ally choices, um, depending on which general you want to uh, fight as, but you can get a sort of classical Greek, so these would be hoplite on. Um, but if you're Cassander, um, you can also, he allied with the King of Paeonia in 310. Um, and so you can have Paeonian ally if you want something a bit different. So um, command and control, you can have one internal ally if you want to, uh, but typically you're just operating with an army commander and professional subject. Thank you, that was succinct. Okay, so, so far what we've heard, we've heard a bit of the history and we've seen what's available to the two lists, the Macedonian successor, Asiatics. And now what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, the three of us are going to say how we would build a list. Um, Nick is going to do Asiatic successor. Richard and Ray are going to do Macedonians. And then we have an interview, a pre-recorded interview with um, Lawrence Donner, who's better known as Sid, who uses Asiatic successor in anger in big talk. And we're going to see how he puts together and then we'll really at the end sum up and before we move on to another section talk about how this might do so nick without further ado your stab at asiatic successor okay thank you i, d I did feel that as, as sid is the the expert on this army that, that having to do an army that wasn't his version was a bit of a short straw in this case because uh I think my, my normal instinct would have been to say, I'll use Sid's word. I like However, you're getting your excuses in early. Absolutely. 
Can I, my other excuse is this is nothing like armies I normally use. You know, it, it's somewhat lacking horse archers for a start. <laughs> okay, anyway, on, on, a, on a more serious approach to it, um, I have gone for a, a different approach to Sid. Sid. Sid's army is very big, lots of pike, and has a sort of counter-punching approach, as I'm sure Sid will be explaining later. Uh, so I've sort of gone for a version I've, I've decided is, is, is for Demetrius, Demetrius the Besieger, um, the son of Antigonus. Um, and I've sort of set this up as a, a Demetrius tries to do Alexander. So it, it's, it's designed to have a hard-hitting post with the companions and some hard-hitting infantry as well, and then other troops that can hopefully hold off the enemy long enough that the victorious hard-hitting troops um, will be able to get the victory for you. Um, it certainly involves some compromises, um, at least one of them can be corrected if you want to do that um, by a quick change. But anyway, to, for the people out there, what I've gone for is a legendary professional army commander, as Demetrius. He's got two mediocre professional sub-generals, and I've gone for a, an Athenian ally for some hoplites, led by a competent, instinctive ally general. So instantly there, there's a, a bit of a compromise. People almost always go for talented. I can almost hear Ray going, I wouldn't do that. Mate, <laughs> the way my luck is, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. But he, equally, I know Richard. I know Richard does do it. Yeah, and he, he's far better <laughs> at crunching the numbers than I am, so I, I feel in good company. Richard actually once tried to educate me that, that a competent, instinctive general was perfectly fine with a, for an ally. I don't believe him. Yeah, <laughs> it, it could be a bit of a risk in this because any, anyway, to, to just go down the army sort of top to bottom as is on, on the lists, which will be made available to people. Um, so I've got six full fat companions, you know, they're drilled loose, superior protected, charging lance and melee expert. Um, so the six of them, they, they are an almighty punch. And unsurprisingly, the plan would be for the legendary Demetrius to be leading those to knock a dirty great hole in the opponent's line. Um, I've got two units of satrapal cavalry to support those in the mounted wing. Just two fours of average protected formed loose cavalry with short spear and unskilled javelin. Uh, two units of fours make a very useful tag team, in my experience, uh, being able to skirmish. If you need to hold up a wing, yeah. those, those two can do it quite well. I've done it quite successfully Absolutely. with Absolutely. Roman equivalents in my uh, Imperial Roman army. And, and if you didn't need them both to do it, you could all... One can always act as, a, act as a support somewhere. Also in the mounted department, I've gone for elephants. I only could squeeze three in, unfortunately. I'd have liked four, but, you know, points being what they are. So I've got three elephants with shove. Um, I have to say it's a bit of a, I like using elephants. But that's why they're there. Other people might want to choose something else. For the same points, you can pretty much get um, a unit of average pikemen. So, yeah, again, that's a choice. And on to the pikemen. I've taken the one unit of superior pike with shove that the list allows Demetrius mentioned earlier. You're restricted on those. And then two units of Greek mercenary pikemen. They're the ones without shove. One is average and another is poor. So again, there's another compromise. That's very much points driven. You save a lot of points by going down to poor, but you know they're not going to stand up to a superior pike phalanx very long. So there's, there's some risk there, but it got me... So the army size I wanted, so I ended up with nine tugs. 
you remember I mentioned an Athenian ally. He's only two units strong. They're both eights. They're both hoplites, protected long spear, shove and shield cover. But one of them are elite hoplites, so they're superior. So again, this is building into the, the theory of this army is going to probably almost certainly on one flank or towards one flank, deliver as heavy a punch as it possibly can to try and break the opponent's army because it's not going to win a battle of attrition. So, you know, in the punch side of it, I've got the companions led by Demetrius. Elephants, if, if we're trying to punch through enemy cavalry, alternatively, they could possibly be used to hold up, help hold up a flank in the manner of Seleucus's elephants at Ipsos. For those who want to read the history, uh, then you've got the elite Macedonian phalangites, the superior phalangites, and the superior hoplites to give some oomph. Um, I've used superior long spear troops against pikemen before now, and they work quite well. They, they don't go through them very quickly, but they can work on a battle of attrition because as the bases go down, they lose factors slower than the pikemen. So after that, the, the Athenian hoplites and the Greek mercenaries and the satrapal cavalry's job is to hold off the enemy as long as possible while Demetrius and the shop troops are doing their work. I've got a, just to round out the army, I've got a couple of skirmisher units because I think it's useful, one of which are some absolutely dreadful javelin men, the poor, unprotected, unskilled javelin combat shy. Six of those comes in at a whopping 96 points, only 16 points of base. Their only role in this army, in my view, is to stand in front of the elephants if the elephants are likely to be shot at. Yeah. They're there to catch missiles. Elephants, only a tug of three, really vulnerable to losing bases. You don't want them sniped away by, by enemy skirmishes or anything. So the, the javelinmen are there to cover them. Then I've also put in a unit of albeit poor Asiatic slingers, experienced sling combat shy. Um, I just like the idea of having an, one unit for myself to be able to do a little bit of sniping, possibly in support of those heavy troops charging in led by Demetrius. However, just back to the um, general, um, the ally general being competent and not talented, which is the more popular option. If you absolutely wanted a talented general to lead those two Athenian units, if you drop the Asiatic slingers, it gives you enough points with a few unused, with the eight unused points in this army, to upgrade that ally to talented. So if you really want to. Personally, I'd be tempted to take the risk and, and go that way. So that's the theory behind the army. It was, it's got a poor unfortified camp. It comes out with a pre-battle scouting uh, of, sorry, a PBS of nine cards to give you a good chance of winning the, the, the card phase when you're playing within the map in the pre-battle stage. And scouting of three. Now, three is not vast, but it's probably not bad in period. I suspect a lot of armies in period scout at two. So you might even have a scouting advantage. Um, just as a, a last thought, this army, I've, I've built it pretty much with a, the idea that it would be in a Hellenistic -y, classic -y theme. I'm not sure I'd want to use it outside of that. I think it's got vulnerabilities. So anyway, that's my army. That's my thinking about it. Um, I, leave, I pass it to the floor for comment, derision, and anything else, really. I, it's not that I don't like it. Um, <laughs> but you, you don't go, like it. <laughs> when you go through, when we go through my list, you'll, you'll, you'll see there are things I like about it, but I just feel, and it's the first time I've seen it, I haven't seen it until now, I think you made too many compromises and you might have ended up with a... I, I find it interesting because... I, I, when, when we come on to looking at my army, it's actually interesting 
how in some ways I've gone for similar sort of choices. So um, uh, it's, I, I, I can see the thinking behind it. I have to say, I agree with Nick. I'm not sure it's an army that I would take to an open petition, but it's one I might be quite happy to use a themed kind of period. Yeah. You see, I think in a themed competition, um, I don't think, you, okay, so I don't think you've got enough to hold up and neither have you got enough to go and attack. Well, so I think you've got to attack with the companions, two superior infantry units and elephants. Yeah, but others, but others I think the, the superior infantry, yeah, maybe they, it's a grind, isn't it? Depends what they hit, but in period, they're, they're you know, I, I think, what I like about this the most, and you'll see this in the list I put together, is I like the nine PBS and rescouting. <laughs> um, <laughs> it wasn't meant to be a, an insult, but I, I I really like that because I think um, I think that helps this army to do what it wants to do. Because I, I just think that you're talking about holding up, and I think so. I, I think you I think you find with this army that what you want to get in, i.e., your superior. Um, your superior infantry as part of your attack. It's easy to hold them up because if somebody puts a four of a four of their own satrapal cavalry in front of them, they're, they're not they're not really marching across the board. Are they? So that, that that would be my that would be my worry that the that the the it's part of the attack force. So my final point is part of what you've described as your attack force might just be bogged down as the hold up force. Mm. It depends how you play. I mean, fours four of cavalry can hold up things to a certain degree with any army yeah but one of the great advantages of meg is it you you get results in normal game times because you run out of table running away you know because yeah. if, if somebody say drops a four of satrapal cavalry in front of um you know something like the elite phalangites or the elite hoplites they can't really risk standing and fighting no. the chances are you're going to drop a four in front of them and you know that could be they could be broken in there in a turn, and then you want tug down. So yeah, you, but, but, they, they can skirmish, but if you're a bit clever about it, you can pressurise them. Yeah, I, I, everything is possible, but yeah. moving three and a four of cavalry, skirmishing cavalry, even stopping you marching in the first turn, depending on who gets first turn. You know, in the, I, I'm not saying you know you wouldn't have first turn, but you know they can they can stop you moving more than once. Yeah, I mean, I think I just I just, I just think there are. There are challenges which I know you're a good enough player to overcome, but I think the list does have challenges. It feels quite um, finickety, and therefore it is a is a is an army that a lot of things have to go right. There you go. I don't see where you're coming from. I think I think it's, it's. I suspect it could be a win big, lose big army. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if you, I mean, you know, I've I've seen it. If you have the companions led by a legendary general go right. They're, they're terrifying. Absolutely. I mean, it, it isn't quite the Agima led by Alexander, but you only want one claim down on that. Absolutely. So it's, uh, Absolutely. you know, it's, it, it, right. it, it, I mean, one thing I didn't say is you, you probably would be looking to get the first move in. Yeah. You know, so, but again, your, your legendary in PBS of nine, hopefully. You, you're doing everything you can, especially in period pre battles. But I've got a sneaky feeling that there might be three people here trying to control the pre battle <laughs> system. I don't know yet because I haven't seen Richard's list. So why don't we? Um, why don't we talk about Richard's list? So um, Nick, if you unscreen share. Okay, done. All free for Richard. Cool. So you should. Oh, 
Sorry, Richard, we're live on air to million. You can swear at the technology rail editing out or not. So, I've only made Richard swear once. Let me <laughs> let me share my army. So this is uh, my uh, Macedonian successor army. It's the army of Cassander uh, with a Paeonian ally for 310 BC. Um, so uh, it consists of just the three generals, um, but two talented, including the Paeonian ally. Um, it, who's, uh, it's basically an infantry army. Um, it has one unit of Zistoferi, who are there just to uh, provide support for the infantry push, really. Um, and the, the thing that's novel about it, I suppose, is using a couple of units of Paeonians with a talented ally. Um, the hyperspists are superior, short spear, experienced javelin and melee. Mm. Um, so they're nice. quite tough troops um, with the option, of course, of going through terrain, which if you're facing other armies of this period, um, may not be able to stand up to you. Uh, supported by the, the compulsory unit of Paeonian warriors, if you've got them as an ally, um, and the option of having some Illyrians who are the tribal flexible, so they can they can operate both the sort of uh, difficult terrain or the um, plain uh, open terrain as required. Um, the core is the three tugs of Macedonian phalangites, um, supported by two tugs of Greek mercenary hoplites. So I probably have the phalangites together uh, with the, the mercenaries to protect one or both things. I uh, use the Zistophori as a sort of reserve, a bit like Pyrrhus would do later on against the Romans, perhaps, um, and use the Paeonian as a thrust, preferably through um, some difficult terrain. But if, if the battlefield's completely open, they're probably tough enough to handle most things, although um, companions led by a legendary general is going to scare them, that's for sure. Um, again, a bit of support with the light troops, a uh, unit of Cretan uh, archers, skirmishers, to provide some skilled shooting, um, useful against those pesky fours of satrapal cavalry because uh, they're not going to last long if they try skirmishing in front of an arch. Um, uh, light horse, again, Cantabrian light horse, um, just to provide a bit of a threat on, on probably on a flank. Um, and some Paeonian javelin men to, uh, again, they're poor, but these ones are experienced javelin, so um, they can do a bit of damage. And again, they're nice. What can, um, the, so the army has a PBS of eight, so it doesn't quite hold up to the uh, legendary general with the nine PBS cards, but my scouting is also. So yeah. that, that, that's the my... The thing I really like in this army, because, for example, poor, poor troops, you know, are trying to stand in the lines of something up, they'll they'll eat them. And then as you say, somebody trying to used in the right situation, they can they can make a difference. Yeah. Um I I I just murdered to be able to fit them into my list. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it just didn't. Yeah, they, they can be very, very useful. Um often sniping from between two other units. So so um Richard, in your mind what are you trying to achieve in the pre-battle? I'm, I'm looking, I suppose, for the one bit of terrain 
that will allow me to anchor the army. To work around. We'll then work the to one side um, So I'll, if I get the choice, I'm probably uh, looking at mountains as the terrain option. Um, uh, but um, as I say, it's, it's an army that if you don't, if you end up on an open uh, plane, it's it's solid enough and probably hold its own against most things in period. I, I really like the ally. Yeah, that surprised me. That, I, think I think I've come across it when playing against a Galatian. I think Galatian can have that ally. Matt Poole's Galatians have Yes, uh, I think when they invade in 280. Yeah, and they are, the, 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 those pain in high passes are great. You, know, you, you, you can say, oh, pity they're tribal, but you know, you can't have everything. They're only, it's under a thousand points for eight superior short spear melee expert troops. It's, yeah, and, and with a talented general, you hope you get the command. You've got four yeah. cards. You hope you get the card that allows you to do what you need to do with them. Yeah. I mean, what you need a green to wheel, don't you, with the general? To, and, and to, to be honest, I suppose it's, you need a yellow with a general to upgrade a double move. That's the that's always the air. Yeah, yeah. It, it's going with the four cards. You're improving your odds. Yeah, absolutely, and that and that's why a you're improving your odds of their playing at the start of the game, and b you're improving the odds that you'll get the cards that can get there exactly. I mean, the chances are you'd only want to double move early on. Or, or the double move you must make is going to be early on if you need yeah, to have agreed. a terrain piece. Agreed. Yeah, um, and yeah, unless you've got an open run at the baggage, and you know, yeah, or you've you they're slightly to one flank and all the actions somewhere else. Yeah, you can yeah. see how because they can't wheel and double move, can they? No. So they're, they're, I mean, you know, I use a lot of tribal troops if they're if they're not in exactly the right position, but then hence the eight PBS three scout. You know, they're not in the right position. They they can find it difficult to get in the game. But usually the terrain, if you're using them with the idea of moving them through terrain, you don't need to wheel them. You, it's usually a point at the terrain and they'll move towards that. Yeah. It's then uh, the ability to wheel them afterwards into the threaten the flank or what what you can do. Yeah. The, the, the weakest aspect would be if you reach the edge of the terrain and then you're you're into open terrain beyond that, and your opponent has skirmishing cavalry. Um, but even then, uh, you can keep pushing forward, and you've got if the if the enemy cavalry come in range, you've got the experienced javelin. Um, and you, but if you're superior and melee expert, even if you're loose, you're probably better than most of the skirmishing cavalry you're going to find in this period anyway. Yeah, and no, I that, that 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 I've been pleasantly surprised by that ally. Um, just so, are the Illyrians part of the ally, or is it just Paeonian Paeonian are the ally? Yes, the the Paeonians are of the ally. The Illyrians are part of the right. main force, and and they're they're either to if you've got uh, sort of a gap with terrain either side, you can use the the Illyrians on the other side, or um, you can use them to support the Paeonians. And therefore, have three um, three units that can go through terrain. Not many armies are going to be able to hold up that sort of. No, so, well, if so they can hold that up, they can't hold up the pike and the spear coming to us. I, I think in, in period, you're not going to find anything. I think again, like mine, I think you might have mentioned that you wouldn't necessarily use it out of the sort of the classical era. I think that's that's a problem with any pike army that they aren't uh, generally the best. 
armies to use in open competitions um, because you've got a relatively short frontage and are quite vulnerable to missile troops. So any horse archer army is going to start causing you problems. Yeah, especially in a more open competition against horse archers, you're probably a card a card light and you can maybe two, allow, allowing for the fact four of them are sitting with your peonian. Yes, it, it's it's most pike armies are going to be a struggle against. But I, mean, I was going to say, yeah, that, that, I think we're all impressed by the peonians. Definitely. Should we move on to my dribble? <laughs> this, is, this is the guy who generally turns up with dribble and then beats you. <laughs> yeah, we don't I believe don't that anymore. I don't know. I don't know what you mean. Right. So um, there's a theme emerging, chaps. Yes, the theme, the theme is you've not shit. Oh, there it is. <laughs> well, so um, Macedonian successor army. Um, I've got nine tugs and a sug, so it breaks on five. Um, my commander control, a legend professional uh, leading the army. D don't ask me for which historical character. It's chess. I'm playing the black chess piece. I'm only joking. That's a that's a that's a, a nod to um, to an Alexandrian Macedonian player who we all know. Um, so uh, and then three mediocre professional. Um, I end up with a PBS of nine and a scouting. And so much for my prediction that two would be normal. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, I know, but shows my uh, foresight. <laughs> the thing about the nine is that I can make sure the three are really good. <laughs> You're, you're, you're just you're just reducing the chances of it being crap. So um, so I want to think I've won the game before we put uh, before I put any troops down. That's my that's my idea because the the, the idea about this army is I'm not going to fight your whole army. Yeah. Um, and I know that's easy to say, but hey, we have to have a plan. I know as soon as the, as soon as we start, the plan goes to, to to hell in the high water. But okay, so. So I've gone for, so I'll go through the list now, sorry, being serious. So I've got three tugs of uh, average pike. So they're infantry drilled, uh, average protected pike shove. And I've got three uh, tugs of those. I've then got um, uh, a tug of Greek mercenary hoplites. Again, an eight, and they're drilled close, average long spear. Um, Do you want to tell him, Richard, or shall I? <laughs> you go ahead. <laughs> what have I done? The Greek mercenary hoplites would need to have shield cover and shove. Oh, well, I'll, I'll find some points somewhere. You know my first attempt at this is going to be wrong. should have sent it to you guys. Um, okay, fair enough. Um, do I have to have orb? Yes. Oh, right, okay. Uh, you don't, orb is optional. Right, so knock off the orb. Oh, sorry, orb. Put the stuff in. Yeah, that'll save you about 20 points. Do, do some jiggery-pokery and I'm, I'm there. Uh, I've then got two fours of these uh, <laughs> Greek cavalry, so they're cavalry drilled loose, average protected, short spear, unskilled javelin, got two fours of them, and going to be using them in a way that we've already spoken about. Uh, and then I've gone for two tugs of um, the Zeistophori. So these are cavalry drilled loose, superior protected, charging lancers, melee So, and there's two tugs of six of those. Um, and then um, I have also gone Thracian mercenaries who, after seeing what uh, uh, what Richard's got to offer in that department, they're just going to be dog meat if I played Richard. So they're infantry, formed loose, average protected, and then one uh, one light horse sug. And and really, 
I'm playing the game that my three units of phalangite and my Greek mercenary hoplites who will be suitably equipped can hold you because I am going to absolutely because I because I'm going to outscout you and I'm going to you know have a good good idea of what the train is. I'm going to hit you somewhere that causes you a lot of pain. Legendary general leading the uh, the Zeistofferai. Um, maybe using you know if it's a tactical game using the Greek cavalry to evade, draw you into a trap, hit you. It's quite flexible from that point of view. But really, what I'm doing is I'm using four tugs to hold you and then I've got to hit because of, because of that I've got to work really really fast and that's what I was talking about my strike force is quick that's it guys that's that's Ray's rubbish idea yeah that, I mean that's a that's almost a classic tactics of Alexander using the pipe to as the pin the anvil really and the um the zistophori as the hammer to burst through and break the opponent line so um it's yeah i mean it looks uh pretty solid to me um and, and and personally i mean nick that's in a way that's why i wasn't being trying to be critical and i'm not saying i'm right i'm saying if you're gonna try and do that i think you've got to do it big you've got to go big or go home so that's why i've got the two units yeah as i said i, I, I had the nellies as, a, as the other option on mine i suppose yeah um, you know i hate it, elephants glass glass cannon and all that yeah, I've got to. I've gotten to like them. Blame my assassin. Um, this is this is pretty. This has got a good chunk of manoeuvrable stuff in. Um, I would. Have, I don't see the use of the Thracians. Uh, other other than they're making you nine units. Um, I'd almost wonder if if you can find a really cheap filler unit to replace them. Whether oddly. This is an army that could benefit from a fortified camp. Get, allow, really free up your cavalry to go wherever you want them. That's, a, that's a, not a bad shout. And, and I have to admit, um, especially after we hear the interview from Sid, I, I did this list before I heard his interview. And when you, when you hear what he says about, mind you, he hasn't been introduced to Paeonians. Um, <laughs> he, he's very scathing about uh, an odd unit of Thracians. They just don't do anything. And, and I feel that they would be the unit that don't do it. Yeah. I, um, I, you know, would I need to put them in a piece of terrain to, to anchor the, the flank of the phalanx? You know, that's what you would probably use them for. They are formed. They're not tribal. But Richard, for example, Richard would just point and, point and shoot and that's it. They're gone. Well, I, I think I would replace them possibly by having two tugs of six mercenary hoplites rather than the eight and the eight of Thracians. Yeah, and because they're drilled, I think those those Greek mercenaries, the idea of them being, I mean, I, I, I was actually thinking that they would always be, the formation they would start in definitely would be, uh, would be four rows of four rows of two, two columns. Like a, like a phalanx. The fact that apart from the Thracians, your army's drilled is really useful. Yeah. Makes the most of, well, you've got 11 command cards. A lot cards. of cards. But, but you know, um, I've used 11 with a, a basically drilled army. My Romans, it's fine. Once you've got your head around it and can throw in the old tactical pass along the way, yeah. 11's fine when you got drilled. But you, you have to be fairly um, in control of yourself, <laughs> fairly disciplined. Oh dear. <laughs> but but equally, my heavy foot, my close foot, it's not running across. The I was saying, in some ways, your cavalry run free, don't they? Yeah, it's there. 
you know, I mean, you know, it's all so situational, but in that game you play in your mind, it really is there to hold up, you know, even even staggered, sacrifice a unit, hold up, throw throw some of those Greek cavalry in while hopefully something else happens. But so in that sense, it is a bit of a kind of, you know, or bust. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm no Alexander. I, I can't help feeling because it's, because of the, the, the hold hold up, you could almost do with a competent general to be able to drop three of them back as a block. I, I have to say, I'm, I'm sceptical about having three mediocre professionals just because you've got three tugs of phalangites and, and two supporting infantry, whether they're Thracians or whatever. Um, and you've, that is five tugs and two, you're going to need all three generals to command those. Um, that means who's commanding the Greek cavalry, which means if they're under the command of the legendary with the Zistophori and you're going to throw Alexander or Antipater or whoever it is leading this army into the fray, you could suddenly find that you're struggling to command the army a bit. Yeah, I'll submit the, ar the army I've used with that sort of number of cards hasn't had a legend. <laughs> Have you ever had a competency in C? You tie up a lot in the legendary and they're expensive. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it, it's always the way. You can use the legendary to achieve the breakthrough, and, and if it works, it can be very effective. But if, if he gets bogged down for any reason, um, then all of a sudden you've, you've, got, you've got that problem of anything else that he tries to command is out of, out of command, and you're, you're running out of cards very quick. So it's, it's a bit of a... A gamble that one. Yeah, I agree. I yeah. agree, and and that's the kind of thing that me personally. I know there are guys out there who are listening or are listening might be able to play these battles in their head. I have to get tested. I'm, I'm the same. That that army I came up with the only way I'd really know about it is to plonk it on the table and see how it see how it moved. I, I can't do the thought experiment properly. Okay, um, so the three of us have waffled on about our. Uh, in fact, I have to know. I have to say, Richard has used uh, Asiatic success, I think, in an open or a competition at least. I've certainly used it in competition. Um, and uh, but what we're going to hear from who we're going to hear from next uh, is someone who's used uh, these uh, one of these armies, the Asiatics, in anger in open right. period competition. So, yeah. So right. Let's say before before we hear from yeah from, from the expert. Uh, can we just wonder, between the three of us, which which of our three armies we prefer? Oh, good, good call. Yeah. Well, I, I've got to just put my vote down first. I've been so in awe by, the, if there's such a word, by the Peonian, Peonian hypaspists. I'd have to have that army. It, it's it's tempting me out of the three. I'd be yeah. happy um, to field that one, I think. I, I think it's, it, you know, if you don't mind me saying, Richard, it's, it's a safer bet, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I, I have to say I would stick with my army, yeah. I'm afraid. <laughs> I think, I think Ray, Ray and I are both leaving a certain amount, leaving more to chance than you are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be honest, I think both Nick and I were trying to squeeze a style of play into an army we've never used, the type <laughs> of army we've never used. So I don't own a single pikeman. So, you know, uh, that's, that's, that's not true. 
I have some pike. I have some uh, Burgundian pikemen or something like that in one of my medieval arms, but <laughs> only a couple of tugs. Uh, so this was this was a real. This was a real, okay. How can I do something different? And what did I do? I came up with what people did anyway, <laughs> historically. So, uh, which is kind of reassuring, actually. All right. So enough guff from us. What we're going to do now is um, we're going to hear from um, from uh, Sid. And then we're going to come back and we're going to wash up the section on the on the meg list. So uh, without further ado, we're going to hear from. So um, so that was great to hear from uh, Sid and, and how generous of his time. Also to really just open up and tell us exactly how he uses it. I think he's confident there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> I think that's how, what he feels. So he'll tell you exactly what he does with it. Because uh... <laughs> Sid, how are you? Oh, great, thanks, Ray. Thanks for the invite. Oh, no worries. No worries. It's good to have uh, an expert in this particular list. Um, so really, uh, could we just quickly run through your list? And your list will be published with your permission um, on the supporting website that web, so people can see it. But why don't we yep. just quickly run through it together? Yep, no problem. So start, starting at the top then with the generals. I mean, um, with this army, I've got all professional generals. Uh, competent professional for commander-in-chief, uh, talented, competent, and mediocre subs. The idea is that on this, with the actual formation, is the competence CNC is a floater. Right. So um, you're, when you're setting your army up, effectively you're your mediocre general on the refused flank, generally defending, doesn't need many cards, can sit there and not move very much. Your talented is in the middle with the bulk of the, um, the decent pike that want to go forwards, and light troops and possibly one cavalry unit. And then the remaining uh, competent general is on the flank or in the reserve with, the, with around about three cavalry units. And the floating general is always sat in the middle. So he's got the best command and control. Yeah. And, and just for those who, um, just for those players who aren't as experienced, um, having the floating uh, C means that you can pass cards to uh, your generals within your command range, meaning that if you really need some cards at any particular point, it's maximising the chance of having them. That's correct. And getting decent cards in, in the right place. Yeah. And the other thing that people seem to forget, you can hold one card more. So a mediocre general can be given effectively um, extra cards. So you can give an extra card, say, he only gets two. Extra card to make three. If he doesn't use any cards that turn, he keeps all three for the next turn. Ah, OK. So so I, I knew he could have more during the turn. I thought he had to discard it at the end of the turn. So that I've learned a wrong. So you can carry one extra one forward, each general can. So if you've got a flank which isn't doing anything, load it up with an extra card. Because when it comes to being um, to be used, he's got three instead of two. Nice, nice. I shall go squirrel that piece of information away and check that afterwards. I'm not doubting you, I just will need to burn that one in my brain. Um, okay, so um, if we, uh, if, if I just sort of said to you, you, you've talked about the command and control, before we get on to the, the detail um, of, of this, why, uh, you know, there are many, many pike armies uh, out there. I know this podcast is about the successor armies, but what drew you generally, what drew you to this list? If anything, I think it's just the number of pike, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, I think so. In an average list, you get, I can get six pike blocks. This one has seven. Right. Um, and it it's absorbs your opponent because the fact that you just see the numbers. Yeah. especially in an ancient's list i mean it's horrible when you when you sit across the table having done that when you sit across the table having to you know or put on the spot it, it's 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 a horrible brick of pike um, yeah. and i guess in that kind of mid-max sorry to interrupt you so in that kind of mid-max way 
you've just gone for the max. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. I mean, I even shed the Thracians from this list because I couldn't see it, it was an Achilles heel. So it's right. filling a gap in the line. They were tribal as well, so they didn't manoeuvre very well. So I ditched the Thracians for an additional pipeline. So, I mean, I find, for example, if you have terrain, you either just avoid it or you send the cavalry. Yeah. You, have, you have short spear and skilled javelin cavalry. They can go in terrain and they can evade. As yeah. as can. So, so, so if we now run through your, your list uh, for the listeners line by line, I'll, I'll just read it out quickly. So you've got, you've got two tugs of companion uh, in uh, six and a four. Yep. You've got uh, two tugs of satrapal cavalry, um, two fours. Uh, then you've got seven blocks of pike and some skill bow Cretan archers who I'm sure are often the stars somewhere in your list. They are, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the um, effectively you've got a hammer and anvil approach with the army. So the anvil is the pike, uh, primarily the combat shy ones. So you've got four blocks. They are, to all intents and purposes, when you shoot at them, the same as the regular pike. They're combat shy. It does not affect shooting factors against them. Right. So it's not like you've downgraded them to poor, when that would affect that. Correct, yeah. Did you experiment with poor pike? I've tried it before, and um, I've used, in the previous list, you had tribal pike, didn't you, from right? So, and different varieties, and I think poor pike are just too vulnerable. Right. So, so, and actually, uh, because we've, you know, we're also talking about the history in this podcast, it's, I, I, I laugh because you've got Greek mercenaries who have been equipped with pike, um, and you've got these... Pan, I'm not even going to be able to say it, Pantadapoi, uh, which sounds Greek. Now, who, who, were, the, who were those geezers? Well, I think these were the local, almost like the local, um, local pipe, weren't they? Okay, so they were they were recruited and trained locally. Um, and as you say, these are the, so they're, they're formed close, uh, average protected pike, but they're combat shy. Yeah. Um, but the key to that is that doesn't affect, that doesn't upgrade shooters. No. Good. And the it, only thing you've got to be wary of is decent foot combat troops. So with those guys, uh, but again, it's numbers. So yeah. invariably, they're only five hundred twenty points per unit. So they are quite cheap for an eight, eight block pike. Absolutely, absolutely. And so when you deploy your pike, do you check aboard the the uh, the the ones which uh, aren't combat shy? It's interesting. None of your pike have got shoves, so they're not they're not great pike. They're just pike. Correct. Yeah, it's a real numbers cost- game. It's a numbers game. And yeah, you, you do give in. I, I have been beaten, but we're by pike, which have shove, which is ironic. And it's like a, they get the roll of the shoves and it does. they do start pushing over you because obviously they'll get green to whites just for yeah. that plus one advantage. And against the combat shy ones, they'll be yellow to whites. So it, it adds up. It always amazes me how important that green to whites is. Yeah, because obviously you have the chance for the skull. Absolutely. But, but normally it's a numbers game. So with pike, they can hold on. So... People have got shove, they can have less pike, which means you can work around them. Or they're facing cavalry against another pike block. And the key thing with the, with the cavalry is that there's four units. And with with the pike, you, effectively, I say it's a hammer and anvil effect. Um, the anvil is the pike, um, prim- I say primarily the uh, combat shy ones. And then effectively you start extending out with the other pike, the drill pike, with the cavalry switching flanks because of the fact that you have the drilled cavalry as your reserve. One, one lot of the satrapal cavalry on either side so effectively, you have a cavalry cover on the flanks, and the drill cavalry can dart to whichever side you want them. Yeah. Mention the Cretan archers. They're my little sniper team. Yeah. I do actually love them as a unit. I don't stick them out in front to be cannon folder. 
they're not there to be run over by the like horse they're there to snipe yeah um and it's it's like robin robin can attest to this they'll nip between two pipe blocks and they cause more pain to him than anything else yeah because they'll be shooting rear ranks won't they Shooting rear ranks, or you shoot like cavalry, and you'll be four away from them, so they can't re- they can't respond. You're yeah. shooting greens because the fact that um, you're skilled, um, and if they're um, flexi horse and they're unprotected, you're shooting yellows. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. So uh, yes, they they I, I like I like a, a I'm not a great skirmisher user, but I like a little I can see the skilled bow uh, coming in handy. So so you've talked about um, how you use this. So so if I said to you. Would you use this list or have you used this list in an open petition? I think you have, haven't you? I have, yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, against all comers. At Britcon, yeah. Britcon. Yes, Britcon. Yeah. I can't remember what I, I think I played Eurobathon. I think I think I had Warband, but uh, so so really there's not a lot you fear with this list if you if you get it right. There isn't, no. The 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 irony is one of my other lists is probably one of uh, it's Achilles Hills, the Hussites, because it's got nothing to take on wagons. Yeah. <laughs> Don't talk to me about the Hussites. So, so actually, Sid, so you've got a reputation for choosing really horrible armies, haven't you? Yeah, I tend to do, don't I? <laughs> so Hussites and Asiatic Brick are, are your are your favourite armies. What's your what are you working on at the moment? What's your next horrible army? Oh, the next one is nearly finished. That's the James the Fourth Scots. Ah, so is Ten that four pike? Ten pike block. Ten pike blocks. <laughs> Right. So a, th- a theme is emerging here, Sid. So. Yeah, but the thing is, though, I say that's that's a very late medieval one. At the moment, on the painting table is uh, Nicophorus. Ah, yes. You should know about those. I know about those. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, trying to get it, drag it back to the the purpose of the podcast, which is to talk about these successor lists. Um, so just to com- just to conclude, really draw together. You chose you you look through the lists and you you chose this because you get the most pike. Yeah. Um, see, when I look at it, I, I look at it and I think, yeah, there's all that pike, but the cavalry you haven't got that much cavalry. But I guess the pike are so dangerous to to anyone trying to attack your cavalry, swarm your cavalry that. I can see why it's a very difficult list to, to beat. What, what have you What have you run up against? Um, I mean, I remember you had a, a big tussle um, with Jason, uh, and he had a big Pike army, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah, I, I know you. I know you. You ultimately you were victorious in that game. Um, but what what kind of list? So really good foot is is what you don't like. Yeah, I mean, um, Nick had a um, Roman list, Imperial Roman list, and he covered his flanks nicely. Ones four. Tug, four-man tug um, superior legionary unit covering on a hill and that covered his flank from all my cavalry and in a way I had to have my pikes on hills to survive against his exceptional legionaries yes yes okay and the rest was superior so it was hard work um, to survive I needed the cavalry to do work at the flank and it just took too long Nick did, did well on that one yeah. And again, the Thracians really failed going to, going up a hill against four legionaries. Right. So eight, eight, what eight Thrac- uh, Thracians going up a hill against four legionaries, and the legionaries were flanked by two other cavalry units. It's like, but it's they just stood there and defended everything, embarrassed everything off. Wow. So, um, so what's your what, when, when's the next time you think you might use this? What, what's coming up uh, if if we get back to a normal tournament? Uh, calendar what, what do you think is coming up where you might use it I'm saying, anything that um, involves the classics i'll probably use them because right. I, say, um, I enjoy using them in the classical period um, um 
I think well, at the moment we've got, um, was it planned so far? You've got um, the GT in September. That's an open comp. And we've got your event, haven't we? But that's um, later, so it's not... These yeah, I, I purposely chose times for my event in, in each of the periods where you couldn't use this. <laughs> no, Robin asked you to do that, didn't he? I think he did, yeah. He yeah. said, I've seen that army too many times. I've kicked him. So, so, um, so obviously, for skull rollers, you'll, you'll take something a bit more challenging than this. <laughs> a, bit more, a bit more challenging to you, not to your opponent. Yeah, the Scots. <laughs> So no, are the Scots poor pike, just as, a, as an aside? No, there's 10 units of combat shy pike, but front rank is fully armoured. So, wow, okay. And counts shield cover. <laughs> so it's shooting, it's shooting proof on the front. So, okay. So my English longbowman won't have any, have any fun there. No, but you just deploy in terrain. There's nothing in the army that can go terrain. Yeah, but then that, that could be a very boring game, couldn't it? Oh, oh, yeah, but why would you go on the flats against all that lot? Yeah, that's true. the one negative of the army. It's at least with this, you've got a decent, decent, some decent cavalry. I mean, the, the companions, or especially the six, is always very handy. Um, it's, it's your equivalent of you know the um, the charging Norman knights. The fact that you can redirect because it's drilled is very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like the fact that the satrable cavalry can evade because they're they're javelin arms. So very useful for many many all right buddy well listen uh, i know you're a very busy man um thanks for uh, talking uh, to us about your list um and, and i really my summary is um as many of us do it, it's a kind of mid-max kind of idea to get the most pike you possibly can working out that the combat shy really wasn't that bad for you uh, and having a solid plan for the games yeah, and the key thing I say, the other key thing on this list is that you've got decent um, cavalry, at least two units. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, seven PBS cards, two scouting. You know, you're, you're always going to be there or thereabouts in period, anyway. Yeah, and if you're defending, use the coast. <laughs> Definitely anchor on the. But you, but you're. I've always noticed how you you may start uh, in a very defensive position, but you, you're you're all over the board by the end of the game. You. Yeah, if I'm not near Sons camp, it's normally a waste of a game. <laughs> very good. Right, okay, I'm going to leave it there. So thank you very much once again, Sid, and I'll see you very soon. Yep, cheers, mate. Right, so, um, you know, I, obviously the min-max thing really is um, seven, seven tons. Yeah, so he's, he's gone for the cheaper versions of the pike, obviously deeming them to be uh, more uh, points-effective. Um, so you've got the four Pantadapoi combat shy pike and the three um, pike without shove. The the thing is that they take a long time to break, so that gives him the time to use the uh, cavalry to um, uh, do you over. Yeah. <laughs> is the is the point, and uh, it it's a tough one because you don't know where to attack. If you attack the pike, you generally don't have enough to to face off all seven. Uh, and if you're up against the cavalry, then he's he's got the numbly. So it's 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 it's, 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 a, it's a very effective army. It really suits Sid's playing style as well. This is this is an army honed to the user. Yeah, he's, he's oh, not going to make the cavalry an easy target. No, he, for he, as, he as he said, he's he's. He's an extremely efficient counterpuncher, um, um, by which I mean he, he, he will often set up 
in a, what appears to be a relatively defensive position, but he certainly doesn't stay there. No, he's that kind of starburst as well. But also very controlled. So, you know, and, you know, I've, I've played this army a couple of times. I played this exact one about this time last year or earlier, just before lockdown started. You last. played him with your Romans, didn't you? I think he, he mentioned I've, that. Yeah, I've, I've played him twice. The one with right. the Romans was a couple of years ago, and I think the list has changed a bit by then because he had some poor pike in there. Right. I think, I think the Pantadapoi might have been poor at that stage, or he'd downgraded some. Um, and I mean, we, we had a great game. Um, I, I certainly, he had lots of pikes sitting on hills and I, I completely bottled it by not attacking them, even when I had a unit of exceptional legionaries. So we, we, we had a good game, but it was a draw. But I played him with my um, Han Chinese, the all-mounted version, last year. Again, that was a, a classic. I was falling back as he came forwards. I tried to pick on points in his line with a shooting. Unfortunately, my shooting wasn't knocking holes in him until very late in the game. He reminded me uh, after the, when I had played him a couple of times. I played him once with a, my Spartan list, my, my pure Spartan. And, and actually, the, the, the really good foot can give him a headache. And I'd set him up where I'd brought something around on the flank and not anticipating that he would break off equal, equal speed foot and just take the captain. <laughs> left me left me hanging there with okay i can go charge with the you know it was just it was one of those moments and that bought him enough time to because you just get ground in in, in in a mill don't you? you just get just like a flour mill you just get ground by this pike but um yeah so i think i think it, it you know very good i mean you with your romans very good foot so very good foot can have a go but obviously then you've got to be able to do you know do something about his two tubs of charging lance um, he's got a six and a four, obviously not too shoddy. Yeah, he is, he's, as Richard said, he's, he's, he's seven units of pikemen. Give him a good whip of stodge to work around. So even if you've got a good chunk of decent infantry, uh, unless you win very quickly, he, he will start manoeuvring those cavalry around. Companions definitely, but, you know, with a flank attacking, the satrapal stuff is, you know, it's going to be short spear with a plus four for a flank attack. It's not, you know, you're going to get breaking damaged. off after, you know, at the end of the turn. Yeah. <clears throat> and he, and he is, he, he's pretty skilled with the Cretans. Yeah. yeah, yeah the he, difference is he's got 11 tugs where we only have nine in our lists. Yes. And that two extra mate. Well, it means he, he can, he can outgrind anybody. Yeah. It, it's, it's a good list. Yeah. If, if I was going, if I was going to copy somebody's list for the Asiatic successor, I'd probably start with this one. <laughs> And, and interestingly, you know, the fact that he, he dropped any loose sort of just dropped yes. it. Yeah. It was a distraction. Um, it, it is honed through experience, this yeah. one. It, it is, it, it's a good one. So it's that, that match of the player who's honed it to to work the way he wants it to work in a I mean, style you, he's, he's good at. If he doesn't come out to play, you're not going to beat it. I no, but he does, he does come out to play. No, no, I'm saying, I'm just thinking through the options you've got when he's oh, in front of it. If he doesn't come out to play, you're not going to if, so you've got to offer him something to come out and play. And I think... It, it's having... It, it's a bit of a bluff there, because if he doesn't come out to play, he's not going to get the points either. I agree. I agree. Having the courage to not fall into his trap. Um, so the risk... It's a very careful one you have to do with timing, because if you leave it too late, you're not going to score any points. But if you jump in too soon you're actually falling into his trap and you'll probably lose 
and, and fail to score the points anyway. So it's it's a real challenge in deciding how much you can um, engage with, but without um, getting sucked into the battle. Yeah, agreed. And part of that is, is Sid's experience and skill. Against a less experienced and less skillful player, you can commit earlier because you know you'll be able to get out. Sid, on the other hand, will pounce on it <laughs> if you make yeah, it. I find I'm a naturally aggressive player, so I find it particularly hard for Sid because I want I want to go into that trap. <laughs> yeah. I know I must. <laughs> well, I think also what's interesting about like this army, out of all the four armies, our three in this one, I suspect this is the one best set up to fight out of period. I mean, I, yeah. And the fact that none of the pike is poor, so yeah, it's vulnerable to shooting, but it's not that much. Well, no, combat, it's no more vulnerable than, than anything else in no, that. Exactly, the combat shy doesn't doesn't take it. Um, well, if you go out of period poor, well, they'd be gunned down by average by just experienced shooters. Yeah, he's 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 got too many tugs there to make it particular. Yeah, no, I'm, I meant on a tug-by-tug tug basis, not I'm, I'm going to break you through shooting. I mean, Nick, you'd probably need six hours. I say a year ago, it, it, you know, the, you can always get lucky with shooting, but what, what he will, say you've got a horse archer army against it, and, and I've, I've faced it, and I know, he will have the Cretans at the point you really want to gang yeah. up. They might be sitting between a couple of pipe phalanxes, yeah. so, but you're not going to be able to push them out of the way. And they'll be and they'll be sniping at you, yeah. quite possibly on green dice. Yeah. So yeah, he, he knows where to put them. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a good army. It's a good army led by a good player. Yeah, he's a very good and, and an act- absolute gent to play against. I think oh. one of my favourite games of all time was playing him at Brickcom, the, where we had I think we had three jugs of beer during the game. <laughs> hilarious. Oh, um, he's one of those players. It's a pleasure to be beaten by. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and if you beat him, he takes it in perfect grace. I haven't done that. Oh, no, I have done that. Sorry, I haven't done that. <laughs> I haven't done that. <laughs> I have done um, so, um, so moving on then. Um, so we've heard about the history. We've looked at what's available to us. And we've looked at three. I mean, the, the thing about these lists is, you know, you can, there are differences in the list. But, you know, they're, you know, they're successor lists. There's going to be a common theme in them, and we've, we've brought out those themes. What Sid's managed to do is... That, is, that, is So, moving on now, so really, figure manufacturers. Um, I'm going to go first, because I'm just going to say Zeiston. There you go. Because they're beautiful. It's everybody else was going to. Yeah. Well, I got in there first. <laughs> so, Zeiston are beautiful. They are 18 millimetre, you know, to be fair, but... Uh, for the style of painting that you want to do with the, they've got the deep cuts, so you flow paint in, they're, they're just, they're just, um, you obviously have to drill and glue one hell of a lot of pikes if you're doing one of these armies with size. And they're not cheap, but they are beautiful. So who, who, who has the next put forward after I've mentioned Zeiston? Well, I, my reaction is, why wouldn't you with the Zeiston? <laughs> uh, all I'm, all I'm going to do is cheat and say, that I, I still have some 28mm um, Hinchcliffe uh, Macedonian phalangites, which were the first lead figures I ever bought, uh, and I still use them to this day. So Love it. That's, 25 that's, or 28mm? Uh, 20, probably 25 in those days. Yeah, I, I think it was 25, wasn't it? I, re- I remember those. I remember those. Yeah, um, probably where we all started. Yeah. Back in that day, yeah. Well, I... I mean, I, I, I'd like you to, I, I would say, I, I personally wouldn't look any further than Zeiston. But, you know, the point Ray made about drilling hands, 
and the separate shields. Some people really don't like that. I mean, I know yourself, Ray, you... you... Well, I managed to drill my own hand more than I drilled the hands of the Ballinger. So, I mean, a, I think, I think a, a possible next choice would be Forged in Battle, who do um, a reasonably extensive range. They've got Macedonian successors, they've got Greeks in Seleucid range. Um, may have some Persians, I can't remember. But between those ranges, you should be able to get near enough all the figures you need for both of these lists we've been looked today. Um, again, they're good price. They paint up really nicely. Again, they've got good de detail if you if that's something you need for your painting style. It's, uh, it's something I like. I, I'm very much a, a block colours ink wash to hide the, the problems approach. Um, the only thing I'm not keen on personally about some of the forged in battle are the pikemen have shields I think are a bit small. That's personal taste, personal thing, you know, okay, the phalangites didn't have the, the, the whopping great aspis that the old hoplites did, but it's, it wasn't a tiny shield. And I think the forged in battle one's a bit too small, but you get, you know, you're, you're the good range, good price, good service from them to do loads of stuff I'd, I'd they certainly be on there on my recommend list. Yeah, I, I, I can't fault them um, on all those things like service. I, I think their pikemen are still open-handed, but they are open-handed and you don't end up having to drill them. Right. I, I, I had a few a couple of years ago where I decided I didn't need them, sold them. I mean, you know I've got a lot of um, in battle stuff. Um, I, I was just looking at those um, elephants. They've got a wide range of elements. So... And to and anyway, three or four different types of elephants in the in the successor. Wonder what you so they've got some in the uh, later Seleucid uh, later Seleucid elephant. Yes, they're so, going to be armoured, aren't they? Yeah. So so everything. So I agree. There's nothing I don't think in any of the um, permutation talked about that you can't. Um, you know, it's worth mentioning Essex because again, Essex is reasonably priced, and you can get anything. You know, you might have to make a few prizes and got to be able to paint like a grandma. But uh, <laughs> you know. Matthew Hayward always says, oh, yeah, I, I like Essex. Yeah, it's because you're a genius, Matthew, you know, <laughs> us mere mortals. They're, they're very reliable. They've got a good, they're very reliable figures, the clean casts. So. What about um, the Z, have the Z range boys brought in? Are they, are they coming out or have they brought anything out yet? Oh, Museum Miniatures. Yeah, they've got, certainly got some pikemen and hoplites I know about. Yeah. Yeah, pe people seem very keen on them. And yeah, so they're, they're, they're cheaper than a lot of suppliers. Yeah, watch this space on when that range fills out. Whether you can do any of these armies with those. Yeah, and you know, as, as we as we know, they do an annual sale usually Christmas January. Yeah. So some ridiculous amount, like twenty five percent off or something. I think it was. I think I was desperately trying to find something. I nearly bought the Indians at White Or. Yeah, I mean, um, they, they, their sale prices are such you start looking for armies yeah. to do. <laughs> 25% off in January. Yeah. Um, and then, so I feel a bit, I haven't actually done any of these armies. So um, shield transfers, the usual suspects. I think Fortunately Battle will have a shield transfer for any of the shields they do. I think supplied by Little Big Man Studios. I think they are, yes. And Zeiss um, definitely have Little Big Man transfers. And I'm sure I'm sure there are, you know, other, I, I'm not being, I'm not trying to be clever, but I, I know there are other uh, shield trans manufacturers. What, what one always to remember is the Vini Vidi Vicky water slide yeah. transfers, yeah. which are significantly cheaper than Little Big Man. Um, 
They're and actually, easier simple to design. use in some respects. They're very easy to use, uh, and certainly for something like the uh, a Macedonian star, yeah, the bronze shield, you don't yeah. need anything particularly fancy, and it looks really effective. Yeah, especially yeah, across. You know, so it's a, take Sid's army for instance. You had those seven blocks of pie. That's fourteen bases wide. That will look really good. And they go on like the old airfix models, don't they? Our old airfix models where you, they're water slide transfers. Soak them in water, yeah. lift them off with a soft brush, plonk them on, dab off the excess water. I, I have to admit, um, I think when I got my first Little Bank Man Studio shield transfer, that's how I tried to apply them. <laughs> I, of course, did not read the instructions. You know, <laughs> but, uh, why would you do that? And uh, funnily enough, my Lithuanians had no shield transfer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's, there's an art with the little big man. Yeah, there really yeah. is. And, and, and some is. some people don't like them because they find them fiddly. Get a really good uh, hobby knife. It's, it's with or, for the round ones like um, pikeman shields. For, oh, the punch. No, punch, punch, punch yeah. The hole punch. Yeah. Get a. <laughs> Do you have a hammer. hole punch that you hit with a hammer? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, Lots of different sizes. You nice. can get them up to 10, 12 mil easily. Okay, so um, I guess for me, uh, we're drawing to the end of uh, what we've tried to achieve. Um, I, I think it's worth, because the three of us are heavily involved in tournaments, i.e. we go to them. Uh, I was going to say we umpire them, but it certainly wouldn't be me. They, they are umpired by people like this, and I tend to be the cat herder who organises people, get, gets them to come to the tournaments. Uh, along with Nick and, um, you know, organised prizes and things like that. And, and you know, we're in these dog days of COVID. We're all quite old. We'll all be getting our jabs soon. Um, you know, we're looking at the tournament scene, all being well, hopefully opening up again. And I think that we've got some smaller tournaments, kind of warm-up tournaments, which are more events, really. The first big proper tournament where people are likely to get a ticket to right now um we will be so what are we having in july nick do you remember um hammy was thinking of running something in daventry at battlefield yes. hobbies possibly yes. so, for one day just to make it more yeah flexible one, in case a one day event um in daventry so right in the you can't get close to the center of the country in daventry and um i think we're hopefully going to have um full fat big meg that we've been talking about tonight and also um, Pacto, maybe some Pacto games going on. Um, so that's July. In August, I think there's a Ribble Rumble planned. You could be right there. Yeah, up in, up in, uh, hopefully in, in Stockport at uh, Element Games, where they have a bar, biased, smooth, particular venue. Um, <laughs> but they have a bar. In September, we have the big one, obviously, which is our World Championship, the Skull Royal Champion, which is at Olympic Stadium. I believe. Is that right? The oh, Lee, Lee, Lee Valley Leisure Centre or something. Lee Valley, the Lee Valley Centre, which is part of, come on, go with me here, part of the Olympic Stadium. Because it's, it's, I just find it so ironic that a bunch of war games are turning yeah. up. At the, so, and that's, that's a much bigger event. But our event within the bigger event is our, is our individual. So things are getting back. Um, also, uh, Warfare, um, that's at a bigger venue this year. So it's not in Reading at the Riverside Leisure Centre. It's at Ascot at the race course. So I believe that could be a lot bigger. So watch watch out for news about the tournament scene. So, gentlemen, it's been a real blast. Uh, I hope people are listening. I hope they're painting and enjoying what we're saying. Do you, do you have any final thoughts, guys? 
I, I just wanted to mention a couple of books for people who are interested in the period. Um, the Bible for Figures is Duncan Head's Armies of the Macedonian and Punic Wars, which uh, still can't be beaten. Uh, Absolutely. I got the original version back in 1982, possibly, um, and it's still, it's still available on the internet uh, if you want to get it there. Um, in the realms of fiction, I thoroughly recommend Alfred Duggan's uh, Elephant and Castle Castles, also known as Besieger of Cities. That's his uh, book on Demetrius Polyokertes, the Besieger. Um, well worth reading. And if you want a history of the wars themselves, I think the best series are the uh, entitled The Wars of Alexander's Successors by Bob Bennett and Mike Roberts. So that, that's my suggestion. Yeah, I, I concur with that. I'd, the Duncan Head book, absolute must. If you buy nothing else, buy that one. Um, I'd also say, and I'm surprised Richard hasn't done this, to mention the Society of Ancients. Um, as a well worth resource with their uh, bi-monthly journal, Slingshot. But link, just linking to Duncan Head's book, the SOA also have a, an online forum, and Duncan Head is a regular contributor there and is, is usually incredibly helpful. If you're asking questions about the history, suitable figures, or anything like that, you can sort of go to, you can, you can communicate with the man who wrote the book you have to have. That is excellent. The SOA is well worth joining anyway for Slingshot, which is just has really interesting articles. And if you become a member, just to appeal to the mercenary side of people, there are discounts available from figure manufacturers. And um, isn't the president of the of the Society of Ancients one of our lot this year? Indeed, uh, Simon Elliott has uh, taken over from the 1st of January as president of the Society of Ancients. Uh, yours truly is the treasurer. So it's nice to hear such a ringing endorsement society, yeah. which has been going since 1965. September 1965 was the first day of Slingshot. Um, and we've just recently released the 55 Years of Slingshot compilation, which has 320 issues of Slingshot, all fully indexed and available for members. It's a fascinating history. It's, it's as old as I am. I arrived in September 1965. Yeah, a bit before my time, though. Yeah, I'll, I'll, leave, I'll, leave, I'll leave our esteemed listener to decide whether Slingshot or myself. So, so, um, so it, it, look, it, it beholden me to say thank you guys for giving up your time. Um, I hope people enjoyed this. One of the things that we will be doing, obviously you can't do it on your first one, but we'll be having a kind of umpire's corner where you can send in some questions and we'll if we find one which is... You know, suitably uh, difficult to answer. We'll we'll have a debate and answer that. Uh, maybe get Simon involved as well. And and as as my final thought, we wish all the best to Simon. The rules that we all enjoy playing because he is still in recovery and and will be uh, recovering. April prognosis is good. And then I think I can feel the pent up energy inside him already. That in April we will be bringing everything up to date, uh, just in time to come out of COVID with all the 2021. Um, list, um, list builder and point and a few errata presumably in the compendium edition um, and if you haven't got if you're listening to this and you haven't got the compendium edition I have to say in terms of production values quality, quality value for money 
I honestly think are fantastic. I'm a little bit. So if you want to meet any of us, me, Sid, Richard or Nick, come to a tournament. We're always there. And uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you.